to the Court of Owlets podcast. I'm Muse, and I'm taking over this week. My other co-hosts are out this weekend, so it is just me, and I get to talk all about Marvel, and you all get to sit through it. So with the Marvel comics out this week, because it was the start of the Empire event that was supposed to have happened back at the beginning of April, but due to COVID, everything got pushed back until the beginning of July. So we're finally starting to get those comics out and I'm going to be covering Empire issue one and I will also be covering Fantastic Four 21 which is a Empire tie-in. You can check the show notes in case something you haven't read or aren't interested in reading which is only two. So with that out of the way let's get started. I'm going to start out with going over Empire issue one because Fantastic Four tie-in ties more into this instead of the Fantastic Four Empire issue zero. Empire was written by Al Ewing and Dan Slott. For those of you who know, here's his name again. He is the current writer for the Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four are a huge part of the Empire event alongside the Avengers. So to get their voice properly conveyed, Dan Slott is a co-writer for this event. The artist is Valerio Shiti. If I pronounce their name wrong, I apologize. The Kree and the Scrolls have united under a new emperor, and their war fleet is on a collision course for our world. On the moon, the Avengers are ready to strike with their full power of Earth's mightiest heroes. Approaching from outer space, the Fantastic Four are seeking a diplomatic solution. If the two teams can't work together to save the day, things can only get worse. We start out kind of flip-flopping between the... Avengers and the Fantastic Four side of things. Fantastic Four, if you remember from last week's episode, I talked about Empire Fantastic Four number zero. They picked up a Kree child and a Skrull child from a fighting gambling ring. They send them off at the very beginning, along with Franklin and Val, to Earth because they don't want them getting involved because these kids are still a little volatile and are still kind of gung-ho about the war. I'm not certain if they'll come into play later with the Empire event, but they do come into play later with the Fantastic Four series, which I'll talk about a little bit later. The main Fantastic Four members try to infiltrate and figure out what exactly this armada is doing, because they're the Fantastic Four. There are peacemakers. They're going to try and solve things without violence first, and if violence is necessary, they will fight. They get found out by the Super Scroll, actually, because apparently he can sense when someone is invisible, because they themselves can turn invisible or they can see invisible things. I don't know. That was a little weird. I didn't know that was a thing that a Super Scroll could do. They don't attack the Fantastic Four. They bring them onto the ship and they kind of talk and tell them what's been going on. But of course, the Fantastic Four are a little skeptical. Both sides have always been a little fanatic at times, so they feel that their way is the right way. The Fantastic Four encounter, of course, the uniter of this group, which, of course, as we have seen through all the types of promo art, and as I've been kind of screaming a lot, it is Hulkling, also known as Teddy Altman. For those of you who don't know any backstory or don't know anything about him, he is the son of Captain Marvell and the princess of the Skrull. They had a son. He was prophesied to be the uniter of the Skrull and the Kree, but because of his lineage, he was whisked away to Earth for his safety. 
grew up thinking he was just kind of a mutant of some kind because of his shape-shifting abilities. Turns out, during the Young Avengers run, he finds out his more about his lineage. But they feel like he's being taken advantage of. Hulkling kind of gives off this air of naivete and kind of wishes the best for everyone and everything. That's always been his role. He's always like a very noble-hearted person. Like, you throw him in a D&D setting, he'd definitely be some kind of paladin. At first, I was a little upset because I was like, really? We're going to make him a pushover? You've been making him the face of all of this. Is he just a figurehead? Because that's what they're wanting us to think. I hope he's not. But he does actually have the courage and he stands up and actually takes charge and kind of telling his army and his armada what to do later on. The Fantastic Four are a little more likely to listen, a little more likely to persuade the incoming armada to Earth to take it a little easy, maybe turn around. But the Avengers aren't having it. The Avengers have heard from the Kotati that, oh, the Skrull and the Kree have come to finally finish off what they've started and they're going to destroy all of us. Woe is me. Bless the trees. So the Avengers go and try to attack the incoming group because they feel that they are threats to this new green area on the moon that the Kotati have created. Yeah, it turns out, as I predicted in the Empire Avengers issue zero, the Kotati are not what they seem. As soon as Tony gets some kind of virus into the Armada's fleet that he made specifically for them, because of course, Tony is a MacGuffin. He has so many things up his sleeve that just so happen to be pertinent to the issue. Of course, the entire Armada are sitting ducks, which is exactly what the Kotati wanted. Turns out, they're the ones who are going warmongery and are starting to not only take over the armada, but they are, like, attacking or infesting, I can't really tell, the Fantastic Four and the Avengers. They're like, yeah, nah, we we up in here, we're gonna change the entire universe to nothing but plants because you meet sacks are just destroying it. And I'm like, oh, I think I call this from a mile away. If you go back to Empire Avengers issue zero, as I mentioned a lot. Based off of the wording behind Koti and pretty certain it's Swordmaster, the way they talk was giving me some mad X-Men Krakoa vibes. And as we all know, Krakoa is feeding the mutants with some Kool-Aid juju. Uh, <laughs> they had this weird glassed over eye look. There was just this menacing way about their faces props to the artist for that because you really conveyed that perfectly including this empire issue because Koti said something and again and he just had this look of like pure sociopath and I was like nope I don't trust him they handed She-Hulk slash now Hulk this hammer thing to help her which also apparently made her brainless hulky so she was kind of back to being herself Thor didn't seem very pleased with that I don't know if it was more of like ah, she's back to herself I liked the old her or if it's more like mm, I don't trust this but Swordmaster was all happy and she was happy and she also had this weird glassed over look like she was like now like 
one with the hive thing, and I'm like, that's coming into play later, so I'm definitely looking out for something happening with Hulk slash She-Hulk in all of this. Once again, Tony doomed everything in the galaxy to a planty death, doing his usual meaning well, but uh, screwing everything up, as he does. But that was kind of Empire. It was, it was a nice setup for the eventual event to come. A lot of things I kind of predicted. I'm still a little confused as to Hulkling's motivations for all of this. Even since he found out about his lineage and then later on in New Avengers AIM, which was a terrible run, but I read it because it had them in it, he runs into a group of Skrull that are essentially kind of like worshipping the Kree Skrull messiah that is Teddy Altman. I don't remember the full plot, but he needs this sword that is called Excelsior. It is this space sword that his namesake, because he has his actual birth name is Doriac, his namesake was a uniter, and it was forged by him. So apparently it's very much like Excalibur, only the true wielder can wield it. He's very apathetic to taking on this role as this savior and uniter. He's a very reluctant hero. We even see in Death's Head, he is using the sword kind of like a TV tray as he's eating cereal off of it and watching TV. Yeah, that's its purpose. It's just a glorified paperweight and letter opener at this point. He's kind of taken it in full swing a little bit, but he still, I think, seems slightly reluctant, which is kind of good because he's been reluctant for years. But also, he probably will come into play later, and this is just me, like, super projecting, like, where the hell is his fiancé? But I know his fiancé is doing something else right now with Strike Force, and Billy knows what, like, he's going off to do something, but he doesn't tell him the whole truth, which really kind of upsets me. One of the biggest power couples, I think, in Marvel that a lot of people kind of latch onto, especially those in the LGBTQ plus community, as representation, especially younger representation within Marvel. I'm interested to see eventually, like, where Wiccan Billy Kaplan comes into play later once he finds out what his boyfriend has been doing, potentially knocking some sense into him or being there as support. Probably both. <laughs> Before I move on to Fantastic Four, there was one real thing that I thoroughly enjoyed with this. It was a very small moment. I wish it was a bigger spread. Tony, the way he gets his virus onto the Armada is he attaches it to Thor's hammer. And Thor throws it up into the main ship. And of course, they're going to either block it or it's going to land in there. And that's how he gets the virus in. Little do anyone know, Thor's hammer comes flying in. And Hulkling puts his sword up. And this is massive, like, buster sword looking thing. Like, it would make Cloud Sword run for the hills. Holds it up and it blocks it. And he's just holding it there. Either because of some of the backstory, this is kind of one of those weird mythical space weapon things, very similar to Mjolnir. But could it also mean that Hulkling is worthy enough to wield? Mjolnir to the point where he can block it because most people as we know like the hammer falls on them very similar to Loki in the Thor movie he can't move it because he's not worthy enough but Hulk managed to hold it so either he's worthy enough or he's strong enough to withhold that force of that Gios on Mjolnir I don't know is it gonna be a thing later 
eh, kind of cool. Just something I found interesting. That is Empire. There's definitely some interesting things that are going to come up with this event. Uh, I don't know how much is going to affect the Marvel Universe as a whole, because most of it so far really is kind of on the moon. There are some other tie-ins that will happen, as we see with Fantastic Four, but I don't know how much of it is going to come to Earth, if it's going to be Skrull-related, Kree-related, Rokotati. That ends my review for Empire. We're going to move into the Fantastic Four. This is Fantastic Four issue 21. Of course, the writer is Dan Slott, and the artist is Paco Mendina. So with the Fantastic Four neck deep in the menace in space, who can powerhouse and brainstorm call upon to deal with the crisis down on Earth? Only Spider-Man and Wolverine, of course. It starts off with sad backstory for Joven and Nkala, who are the Kree and Skrull that the Fantastic Four rescued. And there's an interesting parallel between their stories. They essentially were created even as babies to fight each other. It seems like most Kree and Skrull, they kind of weirdly get reincarnated. When they die, they pass on their memories and stuff to others. I'm not completely certain. It makes more sense with the Kree because of their weird giant floating head in water, but I'm not as familiar with the scroll. The only thing I really know about the scroll is the super scroll and the fact that they are shapeshifters and gender ambiguous about a lot of things. So there's a paralleling between their stories, ending with their birth and their connection. The main focus of this comic is on Franklin and Val after they leave their parents behind in Empire issue one and head on to Earth with these two children. Little do they know they aren't as safe on Earth as they thought. Their biggest issue is making it down before the two start fighting again. They fight, wreck the ship right in front of the Fantastic Four's house, start fighting, just bickering like they normally would, yelling at each other, very childish things, but of course are making a huge mess because they are too very powerful children. They, I would say they're definitely a lot younger than Val, and she's still very young. Franklin is probably the oldest at this point, and he can barely hold on to any of them. It's really funny because Franklin is known for being very childish, and he's acting like an adult, and it's kind of cute. Really bad babysitter, though. Really bad babysitter. They're definitely not listening to him. Val freaks out because she's like, I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm just really smart, and Franklin's powers are dwindling, and we're dealing with two super powered alien so whoops so she uses the four alarmer which apparently has been a thing in the fantastic four for a while they have kind of their own database of heroes that they have a good relationship with and can use to call upon when they need help val calls spider-man and wolverine to help with controlling the kids I have to admit, I really enjoy the banter between Spider-Man and Wolverine. It is great because Peter, of course, is funny and hilarious and just goofy about everything. Because we, we all know Spider-Man banter. It's great. And Wolverine's just grumpy, huffy Wolverine over here. And even my brain, because of just growing up in the 2000s, I associate Wolverine with Hugh Jackman. And Hugh Jackman is a huge jacked man. He is about six feet much taller than Logan is in the comics. And then when you actually see Logan in comics, it is hilarious how short this man is. To the point where 
Spider-Man just picks him up and carries him under his arms, and he looks so tiny compared to lanky Peter Parker. I'm cracking up. Speaking of the bunny Carrie, which was great, some of the art was a little off for me. That scene was funny, but it just didn't seem as natural with how he was picking him up. It seemed mildly unnatural, but it also could be the fact the artist was trying to get a cold ring was wiggling and wasn't really stuck underneath Peter's arm perfectly. There was another shot back on the Fantastic Four's spaceship, which I know it has a name. I'm just blanking on it. It's like the family in this weird like action pose while Joven and Incala are fighting. And it just looks a little out of place for the scene that it was in. Like it looked like they were just about to jump into action against the Kree and the Skrull, but the kids were fighting in the foreground. Other than that, most of the art was pretty good and spot on. Most of it is just kind of the kids attacking each other. So, of course, our other heroes, Spider-Man and Wolverine, come in to help. Val apologizes because she's like, uh, we kind of have it under control, but not really. They're like, no, it's fine, it's fine. But Logan freaks out at one point because his keen sense of smell, he smells Skrull. And at this point, Incolet has used her um, shape-shifting ability to turn into a tiger to attack Joven. But for some reason, Incala reacts to one of the children calling out Alicia Masters. This is um, Ben's wife. And she recognizes the name Alicia and goes to run after her. But in more of a curious way, that (gasps) Alicia kind of way, not like, oh, I must attack. It was very innocent. And Logan being Logan sees a scroll running after Alicia And he goes and he stabs her. She is not in a good situation now. Logan's freaking out because he feels really bad because he just stabbed a kid. That's kind of where our comic ends. But we're not done there. As the group is entering the atmosphere and when the Korean scroll are seen fighting, there's this group or two different groups, I'm not really certain, and they mention something called the Dark Harvest. This is something I totally do not know what it is, but it doesn't sound good at all because it has the word dark in it. Harvest could probably have something to do with the Kodati. There might be our pull-in for Empire a bit more with stuff going on on Earth, with humans worshipping the Kodati or something along those lines, easily pulling them to Earth or bringing whatever the heck is going on on the moon to Earth as well. I'm not certain. The scene, like, different groups. We saw, like, a group of monks and then kind of a group of warriors. I don't really know. I think they had two different names, but this seems to be what Franklin, Val, Spider-Man, Logan, and our two little refugees over here are going to be encountering weird Earth cults calling on the Dark Harvest. I'm really happy with Empire so far. We only have one issue, one and a half with this time with Fantastic Four. I'm interested to see how this does affect the Marvel Universe as a whole, but thankfully Marvel has been really good at their big events actually tying into continuity and affecting their runs and talking to their creators about these effects. As we saw with War of the Realms, that is still ongoing, so Empire is probably also going to have an effect on that as well. I'm interested to see uh, Korean Scrolls stay together 
as a unified group. I'm very doubtful at this point, but we don't know how the inner workings are. We still haven't gotten any of the other spinoff titles yet for Empire to see into the brains of some of the generals. I'm really happy with it so far. I hope it doesn't bomb. My main issue, of course, has to do with Hulkling, and I hope nothing happens to my boy. That is it for our reviews. I do have a little bit of comic news that I kind of want to go over. Many of you who know Free Comic Book Day is usually the first Saturday in May, but because of COVID-19, been changed to Free Comic Book Summer. So from July 15th, which was this past Wednesday, through September 9th, there will be between about five to six titles available for free at local comic book shops of these comic books that are supposed to come out during Free Comic Book Day. So they're not all coming out at once. They're not coming out at one day. They're doing a wave release. This is maybe probably to prevent so many people from rushing the comic book stores and getting crowds. They're just releasing them when they can. I know a lot of people are actually asking on Twitter, no, you cannot get them digitally. You will have to get them from your local comic book shops. So if your comic book shops are nice enough to reserve them for you, I would call and reserve them. If not, you're going to have to go in person every Wednesday to pick up the comics that you want. If there are specific ones you want, you can actually find, of course, the release schedule on Free Comic Book Day's website. So go and check that out. But besides the Empire comics that I just covered, there was a ton of other comics that came out this week, especially with DC. DC comics this week were, of course, Aquaman issue 61, Catwoman 23, Daphne Byrne Black Label number 6, Dark Knights, Death Metal number 2, Justice League 49, Metal Men number 8, Nightwing 72, Strange Adventures number 3, Superman's Pal Jimmy Olsen number 12, and Teen Titans 43. And other Marvel comics were, of course, The Amazing Spider-Man number 44, Avengers 34, which was not a Empire tie-in. The only Empire tie-in we had was the Fantastic Four, though I'm certain Later on, there will be a tie-in with the Avengers. This was probably continuing a story that they had already worked on. Captain Marvel number 17, 2020 X-Men number 1, Guardians of the Galaxy number 4, The Immortal Hulk 35, Spider-Woman number 2, Strike Force number 8, which was weird, Venom 26, and 2020 I, Wolverine number 1. So for the comics for next week, we have Batman number 95, which is the start of Joker War. We have Detective Comics 1024, also another Joker War tie-in. The Flash number 758. Action Comics 1023. Batgirl number 47. Justice League Dark 24. Shazam number 13. Batman Beyond 45. Books of Magic 21. Amethyst number 4. And for Marvel for next week, we have Daredevil number 21, New Mutants 11, Wolverine number 3, finally, X-Men Fantastic Four number 4, which is the finale of that. We get Empire number 2, Hellions number 2, Empire X-Men number 1, Empire Avengers number 1, Star Wars Dr. Aphra number 2, Lords of Empire Hulkling number 1, whoop whoop. Amazing Spider-Man Sins Rising Prelude number one. And that is it for the comics for next week. So that's all I've got to say. I hope you enjoyed this special Marvel-centered Empire episode. 
We'll have a regular episode next week. And as always, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr at Court of Ballots. Let us know which comics you want us to cover next week and make sure to stay up to date with our latest episodes by subscribing to the podcast on Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Radio Public, and anywhere else you may listen to your podcast. And with that, true believers, I'm signing out.